What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Beyond the Course podcast. Today's guest is Taylor Crosby. Taylor, how are you doing? Thanks for joining me. Good, man. Thanks for having me on. Happy to be here. Thanks, man. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. So, you're the, the lead golf instructor now at the Kingdom at Reynolds uh, Lake Ockney. So, give us a little bit more information about what it is you're doing right now. Yeah, so uh, we have three instructors here. Uh, our director of instruction, Sean Kane, brought me on uh, about two and a half years ago. I taught for Jim McLean in Dallas-Fort Worth area for almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I helped helped run a junior academy there, uh, kind of similar to the IMG Academy down in Florida. Uh, we had pretty, pretty cool stuff. And then now I'm, now I'm teaching full-time here at, at Reynolds. Yeah. So you mentioned that there, obviously the, the, the Jim McLean, um, golf center, that's where you started your training career, correct? That's correct. That's so, correct. So, so how was that experience obviously working for somebody like that, being, a, being alongside somebody like that for, for so long? I mean, what sort of things were you learning there? How was that experience? It was cool. You know, uh, Mr. McLean, Jim came in to our place probably five times a year. Uh, for probably a total of 10 to 15 weeks out of the year. Uh, most of his time spent down in Miami at his, at his headquarters down there. But we had a great group of instructors there and, you know, getting to learn from them for forever. I mean, I still talk to, talk to those guys a lot, and I talk to Jim a good bit. It's, uh, it, was, it was hard. <laughs> uh, being an assistant for Jim was, was tough. It was a lot of work. Uh, it took me about a little over 15 months to be able to get certified to actually teach people. Um, went through, man, I probably submitted, I don't know, a couple hundred pages worth of, of work to, to be able to teach and hours of videos of me teaching folks and going through things to, to be able to actually stand up in front of people and talk. Mm-hmm. I mean, so why was it so hard? I mean, was that the kind of standard process or is that just because he sets kind of high standards, high levels that you need as a golf instructor at his center? He, he sets an extremely high standard, which is great. And you see it, um, you know, if you look through the top instructors in the States and things like that, a lot of, a lot of the people on there came up through the Jim McLean system. Uh, he's really, it's impressive what he's done to groom great instruction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about that in terms of his kind of process, if you like them, what sort of things is he, you know, drilling into you to make sure that you're, you, you know, you're doing the right things and becoming a successful golf instructor? So one of the biggest things that we did was, you know, one, understanding why things happen in the golf swing to be able to pick out, uh, you know, we want to identify first things first. Let's go to the first issue somebody has in the golf swing and let's address that because the, everything else from there is going to be a manipulation trying to offset that first mistake, if you want to call it that, or the first thing that goes wrong in the golf swing. Um, and so, you know, it, it always goes back to first things first and learning how to film at the correct angles. Um, my angle that I change that I has changed from where I film in the down the line position, um, a little bit different. He films down the ball target line. I now film down the hand line. Um, but that's just, he just wants to make sure everybody films the exact same way every time. And so a lot of time was spent, Hey, look, this is how you set up your tripod. This is exactly how you set it up. That way, when we went from instructor to instructor, we could, you know, compare apples to apples. We were always filming from the same angle. So everything always looked, you know, similar, no matter who we were filming from tour pro to very beginner. So on his sort of program, then, would it just be kind of beginners that are just started to 
to become coaches or would he also get people that have maybe been coaching for five years somewhere else and then they come into his program to get even better because obviously if, it, if you're starting from fresh you can kind of just be molded into whatever he wants you to be right whereas if somebody comes in from five years experience and they already teach a certain way they then have to change the way they're doing things based off what he wants right there's a lot of both. I mean, there, there are a lot of people that come in like myself that didn't really have much experience teaching. I had experience playing, um, but, but not teaching, but there are also guys that come in that have years of experience from other places. And with Jim's system that he has, there's definitely uh, room for interpretation. If you want to put it that way, you know, there's, there's places where, you know, the way that I want to teach and another one of instructors that might be a little bit more technical or whatever it might be, there's room for all those things. It's not a strict, hey, look, the club has to be here. The body has to be here. It's all different based on the person that's sitting in front of you. And from that program then, what's kind of the final goal for everybody? Is it just to become qualified or is it to become a master instructor like yourself now? What's kind of the final goal with that program? Um, it probably depends on the person. You know, we had everything from interns that were in professional golf management programs here. Um, that were coming in for a summer or two summers that were just trying to get certified to help, you know, build their resume as they got out or guys like me, like I was wanting to work my way up to the, to the top level of, of, of gym system, which would have been lead master instructor then. But um, <clears throat> you know, it was, it was one where I just wanted to learn as much information as I could get. Uh, one of his big things is, you know, go seek out other instructors Mm -hmm. Go take lessons from top instructors who are doing what you want to do, you know, learn from the best, even if you don't agree with them, you know, you may not agree in principle and how they're teaching or what they're teaching. You can always learn something from them, even if it's not an informational thing, it could be a presentation, you know, the way that they present to people, the way they talk to people, or you might find, Hey, you know, the stuff that I thought that they were teaching might not be really what they are in front of their students, right? Sure. Um, everybody's a little different. I mean, I've got a decent Instagram following. I post a good bit of content there, but 95% of the people that are sitting in front of me aren't going to get what's on my Instagram page mm -hmm. because it's so personal, right? Everything that I put on Instagram is going to be towards the masses. It's going to be kind of a blanket thing, something that, hey, if you have this problem, this can help. Not, hey, this is the exact way that I would tell you to do it. <laughs> when somebody's in front of me, hey, look, this is exactly how we're going to do this. No questions yeah. asked. This is what we're going to do. Yeah, because you said there, like, he obviously has his own ways of how to teach. So whether it's recording stuff from down the ball line, et cetera. But in terms of teaching somebody to play golf, obviously everybody's different. There's no set template of how you should swing and what you should be doing. So how did he go about that sort of work? Um, obviously he taught you how maybe to teach, but in terms of what to teach him, is that kind of up to you? Or does he also give kind of his instructions on what he wants with that? Definitely gave some instruction on that, but that's kind of where it goes into, you know, we did a lot of, I mean, golf instruction is educated guessing. It really is. As much as people don't want to admit it, it is. Mm -hmm. We're guessing. We don't know all the answers. I mean, look at how much golf instruction has changed in the last, I mean, heck, since I started teaching in the last 10, 12 years, right? Let alone the last 40 years. And where could it be 40 years from now with the advances that we have in science and the things that we're getting with the biomechanical stuff and, you know, everything that we're learning there, it's sure. a guess. It really is. And so what it boils down to is, okay, there are some things that you know, I have certain drills that, hey, look, I know this works with 90% of the people I teach. That's going to be something that I'll probably start with if somebody sees it. If I see a certain pattern, 
that, you know, I see a lot, you know, a slicer, right? That's what most of us golf instructors see a lot of, especially at the membership level. Sure. Um, somebody slicing it. Hey, let's get them hitting it more solid and farther. Hey, look, there are a couple drills that work for a lot of the population. I'm going to start there. Hey, if it doesn't work, Hey, I've got other ways to do it. Don't mm -hmm. worry. Don't, you know, tell it, Hey, look, don't stress. There are other ways we can do this. I have lots of ways to make this work. This is just one that typically works with a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point because I'm, I'm doing lessons at the moment and I always talk about it kind of on here is my main issue is shallow in the club. So my teacher always says the same thing to me. It's uh, it, you try to get the club and the hands, et cetera, in one particular position, but there's more than one way to do it, right? It's more just what works right. for you, what feel that you, you know you like to feel to be able to get that into that position. Um, so I imagine it's the, the same way when you teach you, right? No doubt. I mean, if you look at a PGA tour, LPGA tour, European tour, any tour out there that's on TV, right? You watch an event. There ain't two swings that are the same. No. <laughs> I mean, you look at it, there are plenty of different ways to skin a cat, right? Like we look at it and, you know, if you watch the tour championship this week, the top 30 players this year on the PGA tour, if we watch the tour championship, there's going to be 30 different golf swings, mm -hmm. 30 different ways to get it done. And it's, not that one way is right or wrong. Hey, each one of these guys, if they're at that level, right? If anybody's on the PGA Tour, the Corn Ferry Tour, the European Tour, LPGA Tour, things like that, Asian Tour, I mean, if they're there, they are in the top 0.1% of the top 1% of the golfers in the world. So they're obviously insanely good, right? Mm -hmm. But they still have, you know, manipulations they have idiosyncrasies they have different things i mean we go from a jim furick who is just an atm right and he his golf swing is definitely unique there's yeah. no doubt about it right or you look at a you know people that you know we've always as associated with great golf swings like an adam scott a louis oosthuizen guys like this ernie ells right it's way different <laughs> i mean jim is not long he hits it extremely straight, but I mean, he's an ATM or like a Charlie Howell, a beautiful golf swing, right? You know, we look at these things, a Robert Rock might have my favorite golf swing on the planet. I mean, Robert Rock's golf swing is just technically unbelievable, mm -hmm. unbelievably sound. And then you've got guys that are all over the map. I mean, you've got all kind of different stuff. And, and that was the cool thing about Jim is all of those guys can fit inside of his model. I mean, it's, it's, you know, there's especially those guys. I mean, Furick fits in his system. Yeah. And then a guy like Bruce Litsky who took it way inside and came a little bit out and it shallowed a different way. He fit in his system and let's get nothing but cutters all day. Yeah. But in terms of like point of contact, then they're all pretty much at the same position though, aren't they? At the point of contact, it's normally just, I mean, the, the, but the major difference is, is before that, right? Yeah. The, I mean, the back swings, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, there are similarities in how they move into impact, but even a guy like Furyk is way different at impact um, than, than some other people. I mean, there's there are similarities. You know, really the biggest similarities I see in the top players are the ability to control face, hit the ball in the center of the face, mm -hmm. and then control that face-to-path relationship. Sure. So they create a curvature that they're used to. They create a club face, which is skill, right? Golf is a skill sport. It's not an athletic sport. It helps to be athletic. You can hit it farther. You can do things like that, but it's a skill sport. It's like being a 
kicker or punter in American football, being a pitcher, you know, I mean, or, you know, it, it's, it's a skill. It's not being able to run fast. <laughs> like you don't have to be a sprinter. I mean, look at a PJ tour event. There are most of the guys out there not going to win any Olympic sports, no. <laughs> you know, but it's a skill and being able to control that face. That's what I do a lot with a lot of my players is, Hey, let's build the skill. Let's be able to control face. If we can control face, a lot of other things become much easier, right? And being able to shallow the club, the face has to be in a good position in order for you to shallow it. Mm -hmm. Somebody has a completely wide open club face at the top and then they shallow the club. Well, that golf ball, if it's a right-handed player, that golf ball is going right of right. And you're going to quit golf. I mean, like you're just going to quit. I would. That's why you see a lot of people that have a very open face at the top come over the top to try and make the ball go online. It's just their body and brain's reaction. Hey, look, I want to get this to the target. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what we do is, you know, club face is king. I mean, center contact, where the club face is going, if we can control that, a lot of the other stuff in the golf swing can take, not take care of itself, but we can, we can make it functional as we work through changing a golf swing or making a golf swing better. Yeah. I mean, so what sort of like drills and exercises would you normally do with your students then to, to try and control that club face? Um, depends on the level of golfer, right? So if I've got a beginner player, I'm going to start around the green. I'm going to hit chips and pitches and try and, you know, I'll put a golf towel out on the green or make a box with like four tees, you know, a, a three foot by three foot box. Hey, let's land it in there or at least left, right. Let's get it in there. That's going to control open close of the club face. Sure. And it's an easier way to do it. It's slower. You know, you don't, it's, it's not a hundred mile an hour golf swing. We're going 22, 25 miles an hour, you know, so it's a lot easier to control and you can really see it very quickly on a small shot that is very face dependent, like a small pitch shot is going to be that ball's pretty much going to start with a face pointed, mm-hmm. you know, because it's a slow enough swing, a faster swing, the path can affect it a little bit more and contact on the face definitely affects it more. But, you know, if we can get the face out in there, that's a good way. You know, another one that I do with, with, you know, higher level players, I may put a couple of alignment sticks, three, four, five yards out in front of them that are, five, six inches apart. And Hey, look, you got to start that golf ball between those two alignment sticks. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say with the towel as well, you're not really looking for necessarily distance control at first. You really just looking to get in that space of either a towel or alignment sticks. Correct. I mean, I'm just looking more the left, right on those, the distance control. I'm not worried about if we can get center contact, we can, if once we start getting a good contact, good face control, that comes with some practice, right? Link, what length of swing, what type of speed that I put in it creates a certain distance. Sure. So in terms of your playing career, then, um, obviously you played at Georgia University before, was it North Carolina? I think you went to at the end. Um, yeah, I played in NC State to finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what made you kind of transfer from being a player to being a coach? I mean, was obviously playing on PGA Tour and all that kind of thing a dream for you as a player? Or did you just always prefer coaching? I definitely, it definitely was a dream for sure. Um, it, uh, it didn't work out. I donated too much money to the mini tours and the guys playing on them. But, you know, I mean, I played at University of Georgia. I was there. I was teammates with Kevin Kisner, with Brendan Todd, Chris Kirk. Um, the year that I transferred out, the next year coming in was Brian Harmon, Hudson Swafford, wow. uh, Russell Henley. I mean, like, so it was some really good guys. And then when I went to NC State, we had some really good players as well. A guy, Steve Luton. 
uh, from England, who's still playing now. He's just, he's playing on the Corn Ferry Tour now. Um, so I, I was around a lot of really good players. And then I, I turned professional and played for a couple of years, but didn't work out. It was, I still remember when I, I wasn't quite out of money yet for playing, yeah. but I went uh, a four tournament stretch where my worst round was 70 and I made one cut. Wow. And I was sitting there at the end of the tournament going, you know what? I feel like I played pretty well. Like I played what it wasn't one where I was like, man, that was a terrible 70 or something like that. I'm like, I played really well shooting mm-hmm. five, six, seven under and I'm missing cuts. And I'm like, you know what? If this is my good, yeah, I ain't good enough. And so, and so it was one where then I went into caddying for one of my buddies that, uh, that was playing out there and we ended up getting onto the corn Ferry tour, uh, then the web.com then, but, uh, went into caddying, loved it, but didn't my my uh now wife did not love to travel so much of the caddy gig <laughs> and so i decided to try and get into coaching and you know i always liked that i always you know whenever on the range you know everybody's trying to help each other out even though we're trying to beat each other's brains in sure. still trying to you know guys that we know we're trying to help them out and i always enjoyed that side of it and it gave me a way to stay competitive uh you know through teaching yeah I mean, it's interesting though, isn't it? Obviously it's, it's a shame it didn't work out, but it just kind of shows the level that these guys and girls are at that are in the PGA, LPGA, right? You've got somebody like yourself where anybody watching would go, God, that's one hell of a fucking good golfer. And yet you're not good enough to try and get to whatever where Kisner's got, et cetera. So, I mean, was it, was it easy to notice, like say in college, where you were playing with those guys, like the levels above that they were or at that stage where they kind of there with you? Um, I mean, in college, I mean, I didn't travel every week at Georgia. So, you know, it was one of those things. And I saw the guys coming in. So that was why I transferred. It, I just wasn't going to get the playing time. But we were all pretty. It was never anything like a huge gap in college. Um, and I don't know if there really ever is a huge gap unless you look at, you know, like when we were playing, Ryan Moore was the guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, like he won everything. <laughs> he was the guy, him and Billy Haas. I mean, like they they were unbelievable. Um, and so, you know, like they had a separation for sure. Um, but on our team and our team was great. I mean, the year that I transferred out, they won the national championship at Caves Valley and all five guys were all Americans. I mean, it was a, yeah. they were an unbelievable team, but it wasn't one that, you know, like in qualifying or anything like that, you're like, man, I'm not even close to this, man. I mean, it was always, you know, you're in the hunt and things like that. And plus you're 18, 19 years old. Of course you don't think somebody else is better than you at that point. Sure. Right. But, um, you know, as I got older and I'm, and I'm playing, you know, sitting there, I'm going, well, you know what, I'm, I feel like I'm playing some of the best golf I can play and I can't quite do it. So let's find another way to still be in the sport and, and go after it. I mean, looking back on it now, when you've obviously got all the experience of being a, of being an instructor now, what do you think kind of separates those kind of players? And what do you see those guys doing now that, that again, maybe you or other people in, in college weren't doing that makes them be able to get to that level? Uh, one, I think, is dedication to the <laughs> being dedicated to what you're working on, being 100% trusting in what you're working on, you know, not waffling around. All right, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. I'm going to do, hey, look, this is what I'm going to do. And this is what I'm going to be great at. You look at Kiz, right? Kiz is not the longest player mm-hmm. by any stretch. Never has been. He's not going to be. He's not a big guy. He's not a big guy. What he knows he's great at, he is one of the best putters to ever put his hands on a putter. 
Yeah. He knows that 100% and he'll tell you about it. <laughs> and it's great. And I love it. That's why I love it. Right. But he knew, all right, look, in order for me to get there, I have to be one of the best putters. I have to be, there's no ifs, ands or buts about it. Yeah. I have to be, I have to be great with wedges and I have to hit a lot of fairways. I mean, that's, he can't afford to miss fairways because if he's going in with a six iron, it's not going to be a fair fight. You know, Dustin Johnson misses a fairway. It's a wedge. Yep. Not that big of a deal. Right. So, you know, he knew exactly what he had to do. And I mean, the stuff that he's done with John Tillery to, you know, turn it around from, I want to say it was 2013 or so 14, right around in there when he started to go CJT, maybe 12, 13, um, the stuff that he's done there is just unbelievable. I think it's really cool. And, you know, kids and I've had a good relationship for a long time. We still talk a good bit. And I think what they've done is unreal. And, you know, all these guys, it's not just talent. Everybody. I mean, if you're playing division one college golf, you're talented. There's, I mean, you just are, but that next level, sure. It takes a little bit of luck too. I mean, timing of when things happen can be great. Um, you know, you get back when, I was still playing, you could still get on the PGA tour from Q school. Mm -hmm. Well, you make it a final stage, you get hot for six rounds. Hey, you're on the PGA tour. All of a sudden you go from nothing to the PGA tour. Now it's a little different, but you know, it's, it's one where a couple good weeks can make a big difference for some guys. And it, it might happen. It might not, but you know, it's, I, I think the biggest thing is they, the top players, the guys that make it to that level know exactly who they are in their golf game mm. and they know exactly what they have to be great at. Yeah. The other things they, they're going to want to try and improve them, but I've told got you know, a lot of times you see these, you know, all right, Luke Donald, unbelievable example. He won the, he won the money list on the European tour and the PJ tour in the same year. Yeah. Only person to ever do that ever. And Luke Donald hit it. I mean, he still doesn't hit it very far, but he, he was not very straight and he was not very long. But his wedge game and putting was, I mean, literally the best I've ever seen in my entire life. Mm -hmm. I mean, I watched him a ton. And, you know, he knew he needed to try and improve his ball striking to become better day in, day out. So he tried to do that and chase that. And I think he lost lost the plot a little bit on mm -hmm. what made him great. You know, he, he wasn't putting as much time. I, I, I say he wasn't. I wasn't there, so I don't know. But you could tell about what happened with the stats a little bit. Um, and then, you know, a couple of years ago, he went back to being more focused on that. And I think, you know, people always want to make their weaknesses, their strength. That's bullshit. Mm. Uh, that's ridiculous. I want you to improve your weaknesses, make your strengths, your strengths, get them even better. You know, it, improve those. Let's, let's improve the weaknesses, but don't let go of what made you great to yeah, try and it's, it's get balance, there a different way. If I did a balance though, is it a, um, I mean, I hear a lot of instructors, professionals uh, talk about that in terms of the, the difference with all these amazing, incredible players that are playing on the PGA and LPGA now is that their bad parts of their game are not as shitty as the others, basically, right? Mm -hmm. Like they obviously everybody's going to have the weak spots and stuff they're not good at, but it's about making those bad parts or those bad shots not as shitty as the other right. people you played against. And it's that simple. Oh yeah. I mean, and that goes from a hundred shooter to a tour pro, right? Sure. Make your bad shots better than other people's bad shots. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like if we can make your bad shots a little bit better, right? I mean, especially for like a hundred shooter. Hey, if we can hit it in one less hazard around, 
we get one or two less penalty shots. If yeah. your bad shots are now going somewhere around the green or on grass that has to be touched by a mower, right? If we can keep it there, mm-hmm. hey, you're going to be in much better position because we're going to get your chipping, pitching, putting better, right? I, sure. I We can do that. But it's, yeah, it's making the bad shots better. And that's everybody. I mean, sure. everybody, if we can make the bad better, that's good. Yeah. Um, I mean, with your, with your students, how much sort of time do you spend between just the actual golf swing and hitting irons, et cetera, and the short game, chipping, putting and stuff? Because I think it's one amateur mistake, isn't it, that a lot of amateur golfers, myself included, we don't practice the short game enough. We go there hitting the balls at the range and then maybe spend, whatever, five minutes did a, did a bit of putting and it's not good enough. Well, it's way more fun to hit balls, right? Sure. I mean, it is. Is there, I mean... Pumping drivers is way more fun. You start getting on a heater with a driver. There's nothing more fun than that, right? I mean, I mean yes, I mean, golf. Yes and no. I mean, I do enjoy a little bit of a chip around the game, uh, around the green, and, and in terms of the game, like I love watching a Phil Mickelson, some of the shots that you mm-hmm. can pull off with with the wedge in the short game. So a little bit of a mixture for me, but I know what you mean. Just letting it. Yeah, grip I mean, I, <laughs> I personally, I would rather sit down in the short game area all day because that's what I was always good at. <laughs> sure. I mean, you see it, you see it on tour too. Guys want to do what they're good at. Mm-hmm. Like great ball strikers tend to sit on the range more because they're really good at it. Makes yep. them feel good. Right. Good putters tend to spend a little more time on the putting ring because they're good at it. <laughs> Makes them feel good. Right. Yeah. So like, we're not going to do things that we're shit at anyways. Like that's why I don't play tennis. Like I'm terrible. At it. I don't want to <laughs> play. Like I'm not going to spend time doing that. Right. So it's one where yeah, I think, I think definitely amateur golfers, the recreational golfer does not spend enough time from 30 yards and in. Mm -hmm. I see too many people miss greens, miss the green from 30 yards away from the green. Yep. You can't miss the green from, I mean, it obviously it happens. I mean, tour players, you see it, it happens, right? But not with the regularity that I see at a typical recreational golfer. If we can, if you can just somehow, you know, kind of put yourself in the mentality that, all right, I'm 30 yards away from the green. If I'm on grass, I have to hit the green. If we think of it as a par three, it'd be the easiest fucking par three in the world. If you had 18 holes of 30-yard shots, you'd be like, man, if I shot over par, I'd be ready to break a club. I mean, like, like it's just, it's right there. It's just, it's right there. Like, the green is just right there. We just hit it on a two-putt, right? Yeah. And the more that you kind of have that mentality, hey, look, all I have to do is just get this on the green. Get it on the green. Give luck a chance. You never know. You might hoop one. You might make a long putt. I think a little bit of course management comes into that as well. Imagine, mm-hmm. I imagine you have to deal with that as, as an instructor. It's, you know, as well, can we just get it to the center of the green? Never mind going direct at the, at the flag, you know? I mean, even the best players in the world don't do that majority of the rounds. They they say they will. I think there's some of the, I mean, I think Tiger is one. He always says he's he's only looking at the flag, right? But you look, look at a lot of the players, they're, they're going for greens, aren't they? They're not going direct at the flag unless they have to. No, they're very rarely going right at the flag. I mean, even you look at Tiger's stuff, like when you track his actual data. Um, so I don't know if you know about Decade Golf, Scott Fawcett. No, um, I don't. So it's a cool one to look into. He's basically broken down into mathematical formula. Bryson uses it a lot. Will Zalatoris. I mean, there's a bunch of guys on tour that use Decade now. Um, oh, cool. Okay. And Scott's great. It's really good stuff. But when you break it down, Tiger's one of the most conservative players that's ever played golf. It's crazy. He's super conservative. That's why he didn't blow leads. Mm-hmm. You know, like he was going to make somebody come chase him. He's just going to hit every green. 
make a putt here and there, hit a par five and two, shoot his three, four under in the final round, stress-free. Hey, you're going to have to shoot seven or eight to catch me. And they'll probably fuck up trying to make some birdies and make, they'll make bogeys and they mm -hmm. fall off by the wayside. Right. So it's one where, you know, a lot of times if, so the, the break, the, the par, a PGA tour player averages par to finish the hole or say, you know, averages three shots to complete a hole from 168 yards out of the fairway par. It's a nine iron or an eight iron for most of those guys. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's, that's where they make par. The average scratch player, the guy named Lou Stagner does a lot of stats too. Yeah. Um, and so you probably saw it on his Twitter. The, the average scratch player averages par from 100 yards. Mm -hmm. That's where he averages par. A scratch player, we're talking zero. <laughs> Should shoot par. Boom. And they average par on a 300-yard par four. Wow. I mean, you put a tour player on a 300-yard par four unless there's something crazy about the hole. If they're not walking off, with at least a really good look at birdie, mm -hmm. they're going to be really disappointed. They may not make birdie and they're not going to all the time, but they should at least have a very reasonable chance at it. Yeah. I mean, they should be putting it within 20 feet, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's about, you know, like a tour player makes, they average 2.8 shots to finish a hole from a hundred yards. It's not that much better than a scratch player, right? No. Talking two tenths of a shot. They make birdie one out of every five times from a hundred yards which means they average whatever their I can't, I can't remember the exact distance for a 20% make rate, probably 16, 17 feet, maybe a little bit more than that. Yeah. Probably right around there. Um, so that's about what they average from hundred yards, 16 feet. <laughs> it's not that close. Not that close. When you think about it. No, no. And then a tour player, you know, like if they make par from 180 yards, they're gaining shots on the field which is crazy, right? I mean, if they yeah. finish the hole in three shots from 180, they're, they're beating tour players, let alone your buddies in a hit and giggle out at the golf course. <laughs> if you make par from 180 yards, you've just completely mind-fucked them. Yeah. Well, I mean, you mentioned there about, like, obviously hitting greens and how many people you see missing the greens from, from that sort of distance. Is there anything else that you commonly see, particularly maybe the, in the amateur golfers, that what sort of mistakes they may be making and, and what they need to improve on? Um, I think, you know, and you hear this a lot, the, one of the biggest things is recreational golfers. I'm not going to say amateur golfers. I'm going to say recreational golfers don't know how far they hit it. Mm -hmm. They really don't. I mean, it, it, and part of it is there's a bigger variability there, right? Your bad shots, the recreational players, bad shots are worse than a PJ tour players, bad shots for the most part, right? As far as distance control, but <coughs> what I see from most recreational players is that they see you know say i mean i i bet i'll probably have one a day in a lesson how far do you hit your seminar ah, about 150 155 okay cool i might see one that gets there the one that they flush right 155 all right cool man great you can get it there but when we look at this data hey these are really going about 145 yeah hey look this is what it's actually going now, yeah, your best one, you can hit it that far. But this is more where you hit it 90% of the time. Sure. You know, and I think that's where people kind of lose it a little bit is, you know, they know what they're capable of hitting a club because they've hit it there before. And they might hit it there every once in a while. But we've got to look at, all right, what is really how far are you hitting this club more often than not, right? 
because 60% of the shots you hit, even for a tour player, 60% of the shots they hit are going to come up short of their number. And that's just Mm. because there's going to be wind or they might just miss it. Just I mean, like 60% of the shots are going to come up short of their actual number. Yeah. And so I think most people just are way off on how far they hit the golf ball. That's what tour players are so good at too. They know pretty much right when they make contact, they know how far that ball's flying. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point then, because again, as you mentioned there, even the best players, I mean, I don't know how many out of 10 they're hitting flush, but it's definitely not 10. So with a, a recreational golfer then, if they've got 150 to the flag and their best flush shot with a 7-9 is 150, which is actually mine as well, what are you recommending then? Because obviously if I don't hit it flush, which is going to be the majority of my shots as a recreational golfer, should I be assuming that my 7-9 is actually 140 or what sort of rule are you following? Well, I mean, it also depends on situation, right? Hey, if there's big bunker or water short, hey, we probably should go in and grab that six iron and at least, yeah. lo- so I mean, where, and not necessarily space, even go right? long. Right. I mean, it's the lesser of two evils, mm-hmm. right? But if there's nothing short of the green, hey, if, you know, hey, if just short of that flag is fine. If it's 150 and the flag's in the middle of the green, well, if we think about it, 150 in the middle of the green, you've still got at least probably what, minimum 140. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like you probably have 130 to 140 yards to carry the front of the green. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's still a seven iron. Yeah. It's going to roll. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's still a seven. You're still going to be on the green if you don't hit it perfect. Sure. Right. Or if the flag's in the back of the green. Hey, yeah, that's still the club because you don't want to airmail it because mm-hmm. the miss hit could be front middle of the green. Perfect. But if there's some trouble short, hey, look, I don't want you to have to depend on absolutely flushing this ball to get it near that flag, right? Yeah. Hey, let's take our chances. Let's say, hey, let's hit the six iron. If I hit it perfect, hey, it might be the back part of the green, but hey, if I don't hit it exactly on the button, I might be stuffed. (laughs) I might hit a great one, right? You're just improving your chances of having putter on your next shot. Sure. And and, I mean, you'd rather than trying that as well than taking, say, a six iron and trying to hit it 80, 90%, because then Mm -hmm. that just creates a harder shot for the, again, a recreational golfer at least that, that maybe isn't capable of that. Right, unless they practiced it a lot, right? Sure. I mean, I mean, there are guys like tour guys. They know how to take off the yards that they want to take off. Yeah. They practice it all the time. It's their job, right? Mm-hmm. Most people that play this game, this isn't their job. They don't have to pay their mortgage, buy their food with the money they make on the golf course. Mm-hmm. Right. We have other jobs. Yeah. Okay. Right. So we don't have the time to put into it like that. So if we could just have one shot, you hit one type of shot, you curve the ball one direction. One direction, whether it's a slice or a draw, whatever it wants to be, you curve the ball one way when you play. You hit one type of shot for your full shots. Once you get into wedges, we can go into, you know, some more small things. But if you hit those things, it's going to make it easier, right? This game's hard. It's the hardest game in the world. Yeah. I mean, it is frustrating beyond no imagine. I mean, tour players get frustrated, right? It's it's hard. Yeah, but if we can find some ways to make it easier, take some stress off somehow, it's gonna be more fun, right? Because for yeah. us, people that it's not our job, sure. it better be fun. I mean, it better be fun. At least, you know, if it's not to, you know, might be just hanging out with your buddies for a few hours, right? Or like for myself, like I'm still very competitive. I want to go out. I'm gonna go gamble when I play. Mm-hmm. Like I, it's what I'm gonna do, and that's fun for me. Whether I win or lose, I don't care. It's just fun. The competition's fun. Yeah. Okay. But in order for it to be more fun, if I hit better shots and I know what I'm doing, I have a little less stress, it's going to be more fun. 
right? There's other ways I could spend four or five hours. I go hang out with my kids, yeah. right? <laughs> like if it's not fun, I'm gonna find a, I find something else to do. I can go have a drink and hang out by the pool. Sure. <laughs> no, I mean it's a good point, and I just wanted to move on to one last thing before we finish. Um, sure. In terms of what sort of equipment are you using to do your drills, to do your, your practices? I know that you've got um, like extensive knowledge of the um, uh, the Sam Put Lab and uh, Trackman and stuff like that. So, how are you using these pieces of equipment, and how could other people, again, recreational golfers like myself, use these to to help them improve their practice? Sure. So, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm lucky that I work in a place like I do that that helps out so much. I mean, I've got a Trackman, I've got a GC Quad. I I don't have a Sam Put Lab anymore, but we've got a Quintic, which is Okay. unbelievable um and i mean i use those things every day i use my trackman definitely every day because it's set up with my with my video that i film with in my bay but for you know the average golfer is not gonna be able to afford a trackman or gc quad i mean trackman is 25 28 000, gc quads like fifteen thousand. i mean like they're expensive it's all get out but there are some really good options i don't have any ties to any of them so this is not a plug or anything like that but you know i these are ones that my players have used the flight scope mevo is great it's a good option it's like 499 bucks if you're really wanting to get your yardages and things like that it's at least a good place to start it might not be perfect right but it's going to be fairly consistent and then you'll see on the golf course hey look okay it might be five yards farther than what it's actually going whatever it might be but it's very consistent the rap soto is really good um i don't know the exact name of it and then there's another one coming out from Ernest sports uh that that's really good too but, you know, like things like that, they're in the three to five hundred dollar range that are, you know, less than the cost of a driver now. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're really wanting to invest right instead of going out and buying the new driver, hey, buy one of these things, get better at that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I would say seek out somebody near you that you trust to, to work on your golf swing. Right. And, you know, the cool thing I work on Skillist now, um, there's a lot of guys that that are on the Skillist app that I mean, I can reach people all over the world. And it's, it's really cool. You can find people that you trust and they're going to be able to tailor drills and training aids to the player, right? There's not one training aid that I'm like, look, this is end all be all like you use this. It's you're ready for the tour, right? Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen. There's a lot of them that I use, but it's all very player dependent. It, it, it's, it's one that I've got to be able to see swings to, to, to do that. But, you know, any kind of flight, any kind of data capturing that you can do is great or using, um, you know, like the decade app is great. Uh, there's a lot of shot tracking apps out there where you can get your strokes gained and see, Hey, look, I really am just shit in the bed with a driver. Sure. Off the tee. I'm terrible. Hey, look, my short game's better than I thought it was. That's pretty cool. Right. Or, Hey, my driver's really good. Or, you know, Hey, look, I really need to work on my approaches or I really need to work on my lag putting. You see where you need those improvements and the decade one's really good. I just, I know that one. I, um, I've used it for a long time and I've known Scott for a long time. So I know how well it works. Um, I use it with a lot of my players and it's, yeah. it's one that's really good. So with the, with the yardages then, just to kind of clarify on that, are you, or are you recommending that people just know again, what they hit a flush, say seven, a and say eight, a seven or eight iron, and then what it would be if maybe they don't hit flush or are you also wanting people to know, okay, so if I need to hit whatever, uh, pitching wedge 50%, do you want people to be looking at that sort of specific detail as well? How far do you go with that? Yeah. I mean, I think once you get into the wedges, once you get into there, then you start going into, all right, how do I fill in all the gaps? Mm -hmm. 
how do I hit a shot a hundred in the air? How do I should hit a shot 95 in the air? How do I hit 190 in the air? Right. If we can do that all the way from a hundred back down to about 40 yards in five yard increments, then you're going to be in pretty good shape. Right. What, no matter what club it might be for you, but for, you know, nine iron and longer, I'm not really doing much with all right, a half shot or things like that. Let's figure out, all right, what's my average with this club. What's my maximum with this club. Mm-hmm. that's kind of where I'd go. Your club's going to fit. Your Most of your shots are going to fit in that window, right? If we get the averages, we're going to be in good shape. It's at least a good place to start. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Taylor, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Great to meet you. Thanks, um, man. For anybody that wants to find you for classes or just look at your content on social media, can you tell everybody where they can find you? Sure. Yeah. Most of my stuff's on Instagram. My handle's at TC and underscore instruction. And then I'm also on the Skillist app. You can find me, Taylor Crosby, there. I've got a link to that in my bio, too, probably on, on Instagram. But that's where most of my content comes out is on Instagram. I just started a TikTok. My, I, I had to. <laughs> it's just it's a sign of the times, right? I just started that. So there might be some stuff coming out on there. I'm probably not going to use it a ton, but uh, still like the Instagram platform, a little bit longer videos and things like that. Awesome. Taylor, thanks again. Appreciate your time. Good to speak to you. Uh, thanks, buddy. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks, man.